This is The Bull, The Bear, and My Brother's Chair, a podcast hosted by my brothers, Nate, Brian, Lucius, leaders of Gradient Financial Group. Each episode, they'll talk about how they're bullish, how they're bearish, and the chairs they cherish. I'm Lance Sedlick, former NHL defenseman and dad of two kids that were drafted in the NHL and business owner. And I'll be on the podcast today to talk with the guys about the best advice I ever received, why I fell in love with hockey, what's different about today's sport, and what gets me out of bed in the morning. So without further ado, let's get started. So here we go. Welcome back to The Bull, The Bear, and My Brother's Cheer. This is Nate Lucius, and I am joined once again by Brian Lucius. Nate, summertime, buddy. It is. Beautiful. It's uh, about 90 this week here, which for Minnesota is seasonably warm. I was sitting on the lake, uh, a restaurant on the lake last night in Minnesota with my buddy, and it was like 84 degrees when we got there, about 8 o'clock. Yeah. Kind of sun goes down, about 9-ish. It's like 82, and it was beautiful. It is nice. It reminded me this morning of I walked out of the gym at 7 o'clock, and it was hot already. And I used to, as you know, work on a painting, house painting crew back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd show up there, and I was probably 21 years old or whatever. So you'd show up, you'd know it was going to be hot, and you'd get there at 7, get out of the car, and you're like, man, it's already 85 degrees. Uh, Like Today is going to suck. So it brought me back to my good old painting days of... Is that what we're going to talk about on the show today? I don't have any painters on the show today, but uh, I could give you a lot. And today we've got a a, a gentleman who I've known for quite some time who played in the NHL. About 400 games. For those of you who are not uh, from the state of hockey, it is the National Hockey League. So played in the pros, uh, Ottawa Senators for three years, Florida Panthers for three years. He was also the... Captain of the University of Minnesota Gophers. Golden Gophers. Go Gophers. <clears throat> so M-I-N-N. <laughs> Going to talk to him a little bit about, you know, anybody who who excels in their field. And you could be an attorney or sales or whatever, but certainly professional athletes. You know, how, how do you get to that top 0.2% of what you do? Is it passion? Is it hard work? Is it a combination of it? Is it just sheer raw talent? And just get a little insight of what it really takes to play at the top level of whatever your field is. I feel is. like we're going to have kind of coming up this summer and this fall uh, some more kind of hockey. There's kind of a hockey theme going on we, here. We, we might have a few guests. We might have a few guests. Yes. Lined up that are in that uh, arena. Yes, we are. Our family is into hockey. So uh, yep. you, you may hear some NHL players. Yeah. So, so, I, uh, uh, so I mentioned my lake thing earlier. And I'm going to start with a bearish, okay? Okay, we're going to go so we, negative off the bat. This isn't about right. the place. We were actually, if you've never been on Maynard's on Lake Minnetonka, my favorite in Minnesota, places. it's unbelievable. Food's great. The atmosphere is awesome. Like, it's big. It's busy. And they all, it's all outdoor. And uh, so this isn't about Maynard's, but this is about restaurants in general. And over the course of the uh, pandemic, which you're f- mildly familiar, familiar with, with that. Um, all the restaurants have either gone to... It seems like regular menus are kind of a thing of the past. You know, the the nice big menu I can yeah. really hold in my hands and look yeah. over for 30 minutes. And what they've either gone to is like one little sheet of paper, like a little throwaway piece of paper. But more importantly, they've gone to the, what do you call those things? Uh, QR codes. QR codes. <clears throat> and they're, sometimes they're like laying on the table. The Maynard's one was actually like affixed to the table, which oh, was nice. nice. 
Uh, but some of them are, you know, covered in ketchup, and then you're all touching the thing, and then you take your phone. And originally, I thought you needed an app for it. You used to, right? And then the, a couple of months ago, the lady's like, "No, you just pull out your camera. You don't even take a picture. You just hover over it. You hit it, and the menu pops up." Yes. I just, I, I don't. I'm bearish on them, and the I reason being is that people struggle with them. The waitresses and wait staff always probably has to explain to half the population, yeah. where's my menu? And so it it's to me it's just difficult. And then you've got older people who are like, What what do I do with this? And then you can't read the menu. And unless you're a savvy iPhone guy, you gotta zoom in and zoom out. Yeah. And it's just it's not an easy experience. Well, now that, it's it's a small thing in life, but it's still not a, one that I like. I agree. And I you know, two comments on that is one do you remember like five, six years ago, the QR code came out and people yes. had them on their business cards yep. and on billboards. Scan like, here for whatever. It was going to be the next greatest thing and it just disappeared because yep. like, you had to have the app and all that crap yep. for it. <clears throat> and now, like, I don't know if there's a company behind QR code that has like a licensing agreement or something, but they've got to be thrilled that these things are like back in the mainstream. Right. And I like, so I like the, 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 the standard menu, the one I can flip through, I can... I feel like go over, a, and then I always go back to my the stuff I order anyway. So right, but it doesn't really matter. It's but it's kind I like of it. a it's, it's it's the experience, or especially if you're like, and you were with uh, Al last night. Yes. So it's it's two two good friends. But if you're with a, uh, some couples, you know, you want to sit and talk for a little bit, but you don't just stare in each other's eyes. Like you had that right. physical menu. And now everyone's kind of look at, at and then you look at each other, and then you look back at the menu. It gave you like this traditional thing that you did and now you're yep. at your phone and you kind of rush through it and all of them work a little different so it's it's a minor uh road bump or yeah speed bump in life but still one that I'm, I'm not a fan of and i hope that it doesn't continue that way but i get at restaurants printing all the big menus and changing them agreed it's probably tough it's much yeah, easier for I'm that sure so it sucks there's a cost savings there is an efficiency for them but not for me, the consumer. I would agree. Yes. I mean, that is one of the technology advancements that I'm not super thrilled about. <clears throat> I'll go bullish then on one. All right. I'm bullish on motivational videos, motivational speakers, motivational quotes. And not that I'm a, a freak on them, but like every once in a while, I like to pull up YouTube and watch a motivational video. Totally. It's usually a montage of speakers yeah. and it's Tony Robbins or whoever. And I, I, I just enjoy those. I enjoy quotes. And so I, I pulled three of them that are some of my favorites and I'll give them to you. First one, I don't even know where it came from, but you maybe if you've been to one of our meetings, you've seen a slide that says something like this, that is change is hard, but often profitable. And That's so right. I, I think of that when people hate change in their life, whether they have to take a different route to work or whatever, like look anything, at a menu differently, look at a menu differently. You hate it. But generally speaking, the change betters something in your life once you get over the initial hurdle. Right. Now, the next one is from Tony Robbins. And a guy actually said this to me. He actually is a different guy who plays in the NHL. Of He said it in a different way, but Tony Robbins is the, the owner of the quote of, people are rewarded in public for what they practice for years in private. And so you, you see people, you know, certainly in, in sports, you think, well, Tiger Woods is just, just a gifted guy. Like that dude's put in thousands of hours into what he does. Well, same thing. If you see a speaker who is, you know, phenomenal at what they do, like they didn't just arrive on the stage. They have put the work in to do it. So 
I've always, you always get reminded that if you want to be really good at something, then put in the time to do it. Last one is from uh, Jerry Rice. You know Jerry? I do. Good. Yeah. <clears throat> so Jerry's is, today I will do what others won't, so tomorrow I can do what others can't. And that is a reminder for me of things that you're doing that you don't necessarily like, be it working out, be it running, be it working on your business, be it whatever it may be, you are doing things today in sacrificing whatever that may be and going through that painful process of whatever it is. So tomorrow you're achieving things that others can't. So that one is always a reminder. If I'm ever doing something that I'm just not into at that point, I think of that quote. Yeah, I I would agree with you. And I think, you know, any meeting you've ever been to, whether it's our summit meetings or any other industry meetings, there are some motivational speakers that frankly aren't very good, but most of them are pretty good. And Mm -hmm. I'm not sure you take a lot out of it, but it certainly re-energizes and it's, it's fun. Uh, it's different. And I think I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I'm bullish on that. They're a good reminder of, you know, it all comes down to get out of your own way. Don't be negative and get off your ass. Yep. And I quote. Yes. That that is mine. Right there down. Quote Brian Lucius. Do you have any favorite quotes before we bring Lance on? Um, not that I can think of off the top of my head. None that you go to routinely? Uh, I, I do have one actually, and I'm not even sure where it came from. And this really we isn't can, motivational. We can say it's from you. It's from me. Uh, cost is only an issue in the absence of value. Value. <laughs> okay. So this works one of two ways. It's either a legitimate thing where you're like, you know what, this ex- expense or cost, it's worth it. It brings value to my life. Or you justify it when you're buying something that you shouldn't be buying. That's true. Could be a car, could be a boat. And you're like, you know, that much value. We're going to get so much value out of this boat. So that's what you remind your significant other. If she or he is like, ah, it's expensive. expensive. It's really kind of a waste. Mm -hmm. Listen, cost is only an issue in the absence of value. So then you have a value conversation versus a straight cost. And you also use that one when your buddy's eyeing like a Porsche 911 turbo and he's like, it just is, it's a little expensive. And you're like, right. you need to get that buddy. Cost That's right. Is an issue but but business wise, it's, it's very true. You're like, I, I don't know if I want to spend X amount on this marketing or that thing. Well, what's the value you're going to get out of it? Start writing it down. What's the value? What do I think the value is going to be? And uh, yeah, there's a cost to it. So nice. I like that one. I like that one. I uh, use it a lot. It's It goes personal, business. You can use it anywhere in yes. your life. <laughs> it's multi-purpose. Yes. Cool. Well, we're going to bring on Lance Pitlick here again, uh, former NHL player, and talk to him a little bit about what it takes to play at the highest level of your profession. Nate, Very good. I'm going to take Lance. You get out of here. All right. Lance, thanks for joining us on the show today. How are you? Excellent. I appreciate you having me and uh, look forward to seeing what happens. (laughs) And I know you just got back from a uh, very Minnesota activity of fishing. Did you catch anything? We did not. Uh, Unfortunately, there's a a bug that's called the mayfly and they just hatched. So the fish were well fed, not by us. Uh, (laughs) We did see something that was uh, pretty cool. I, I've never seen a bald eagle. Oh. Like we were driving driving to a spot, and there was a bald eagle in the water, like really? swimming. Really? And so we watched this thing swim for like 15 minutes to shore, 
and then proceed to pull up like a 38 to 40 inch muskie on the shore. And then that's a big fish and it was a fat fish. Really? And, uh, just went to town on it. The, the mom, it was really, really cool. So, you know, those are the type of things. I mean, catching fish is one thing, but that was pretty cool to witness. Yeah. And if you've never been to Northern Minnesota and you're listening to the show, I highly recommend you, uh, you partake in that at some point. It is, uh, Come in the summer, though, right? <laughs> that is right. That is right. Or or February. It's beautiful that time of year. <laughs> well, cool. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you joining us on the show today. And, uh, you know, in your introduction, you mentioned uh, former NHL defenseman. Uh, why don't, to kind of set the stage here, why don't you tell us a little bit about kind of your career and path in, in you know, kind of later stages of hockey? Sure. Um, you know, I... I started out growing up uh, like a typical um, Minnesota kid. I mean, I feel bad for the kid that if you're from Minnesota or Canada, if you don't know how to skate or can't skate because <laughs> you're, you're, you're back against the wall right from the start. But I, I, was, I was introduced to hockey and um, never really thought of it as a true passion, but I played every year and, I never was the top guy, but I just kind of progressed through the ladder. And, you know, when I got to high school and then college, you know, it, it's like, okay, the end is near. And is there a possibility for the next thing? And, um, you know, I, I was fortunate to, to play at the University of Minnesota. And they were, I got some letters in the mail from other colleges, but mm-hmm. Minnesota was the only one that offered me anything. I got a half scholarship and, Went there, made the most out of that, and then ended up uh, having a 12-year-long pro career. And what most people don't know about my career is that I didn't play my first NHL game till I was 27. Really? Um, so I was, you know, I was in there grinding and uh, just trying to play for another season. Um, so, you know, what, whatever whatever amount of skill was needed to reach the NHL, I just got over that line. You know, I, I just, <laughs> so I, you know, and it was hard. So I got my first game. I was in my fifth year in the minors and that year I played, I think 12 games. I was up and down a few times. Sure. Then the next year, the next year I was again, up and down. I only played 29 games, but I was up the majority of the year. And then the following year, I made the team, and this was when I was in Ottawa. I played four years in Philadelphia's organization. I played in their minors in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Then I played five years in Ottawa. And that third year with Ottawa, I made it. And this is where, you know, if you're talking about business or anything, I mean, being an NHL player, I mean, that was the business I was in. So Mm -hmm. I was trying to optimize it. And you need some breaks and, uh, you know, some something that to happen where you get an opportunity and five games into that third season, we were playing uh, in New Jersey against the devils and two defensemen go down with season ending knee injury. And uh, all of a sudden I go from seventh defenseman to number five Mm -hmm. and I played the rest of the games that year and ended up signing a one-way contract the following year and became an everyday player in the NHL. So it's a, it was a long road. It wasn't easy, but the one thing I knew is I knew I knew what my strengths were, and I knew what my limitations were, mm-hmm. and i i played I played within those parameters to optimize, you know, what I could do on the ice. Sure. <clears throat> and you you mentioned that the, you know hockey wasn't necessarily an early passion for you, but it at some point <clears throat> for you to make it to 
you know, the, the, the peak of, of sports, right? <clears throat> and you look at anything else in life, business, there's many levels of success that someone could have and different definitions of success even. But, you know, in, in sports, if you break it down, it's like D1, you know, college sports, then <clears throat> you make it to the pros, but there's such a small percentage that make it to the pros. I have to imagine that you had some passion in there or something. You must have put in more time than the next guy perfecting your business and perfecting your craft. What was it about hockey that, that made you put in those hours? Because uh, I didn't know what else I was going to do <laughs> with the rest of my life. You know? Yeah. I didn't. It was just like, you're going to pay me to play hockey and then I get my summers off. Okay. I'll do that as long as I can. Sure. Um, but I guess what it really, what it really changed for me was when, um, when I started college, because, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, uh, dealing with a lot of, uh, business owners and, uh, highly goal oriented people that, you know, they're, you, you need a team of people to help you along the way. Mm-hmm. And I have just not been exposed to a lot of uh, trainers or people that had played or were training players at the higher levels, sure. in, you know, D1 okay. and, and pro and college and Olympians. Uh, so one of the first people that I got introduced to was a guy named Mike Ramsey, and you might be familiar with him. Mm-hmm. He played for the Gophers, mm-hmm. played for Buffalo, I think. Um for many years, but, uh, he, he was playing in the NHL, but he would come home in the summers and train at the, the gym, uh, where we did for the Gophers, which was the old Memorial stadium, sure. football stadium locker room that we converted into a weight, weight room study hall. And I thought I was working hard until I worked out with him once on the bike. He goes, you riding the bike? And I go, yeah. He goes, you want to do a, a ride together? And I'm like, okay. And <laughs> He said, "Well, I'll I'll take the lead on it." And I said, "Okay, that would be good because I don't have, I don't have a bike ride I'm going to do with you." And he proceeded to kick my butt on that bike, and it just kind of opened up a world that, you know, I I thought that I was emptying the tank every time I was trying to get better and put time into the craft, and I wasn't even close. So that kind of started it, and uh, you know, it it it's that team of people, and also surrounding yourself with some like-minded people that are chasing something mm-hmm. that you kind of pair up as, you know, training partners and stuff, because they, you know, every day you're not going to have the, the, the motivation and the drive to, to push it. But when you have, usually when you have a training partner, if one guy feels like that, the other guy doesn't, you kind of feed off each other and get through that workout. And so, yeah, I, I think that uh, that's when I kind of knew that, um, that there was an opportunity to play longer than I thought, but there was an also a lot, a lot more, an enormous amount of uh, work that I, I didn't know that I had to do, that I was slowly starting to get introduced to and started to implement that into my process. And, you know, the result that I guess I just, I was stubborn enough to hang around long enough <laughs> where I, okay, just give them a chance. Give me, a shot. <laughs> give me, give me a shot out here. <laughs> when you finished, uh, finished in the NHL, you've, you've now have your, your current passion and business is helping today's players. 
What do you feel is is so important or what I guess what role does athletics play in today's youth? What does that teach a teach a kid? Good. Okay. So I I youth hockey I coached in the Wyzetta Youth Hockey Association and I got involved a little bit, not like on the board level, but more on committees like the coaches committee, the player development committee and um you know what 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 we recognized, you know, what I recognized as far as, uh, you know, what was important was told every year at the annual coaches meeting, kickoff meeting before the season. And, you know, to answer your question, why it's so important, he, he said, the reason we're doing this people is because kids that play sports typically stay out of courts. <laughs> and I'll never forget that, you know, because I, you know, I think about my, my own, you know, adolescence and stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. I, I, I could, there was, all of us, I think, can look back and there was a time or two that, you know, we maybe would have made a different decision if we weren't involved in some activity, be it sports or theater or whatever, but mm-hmm. uh, the extracurricular activity and what I found in, in coaching and being around a lot of impress, impressionable, you know, kids that, you know, are, are just searching for information and maybe not even knowing, but it's our job to kind of uh, introduce them to things that maybe they, they wouldn't normally be introduced to is uh, you know, I just tried to find out what their, what their passion was. And if they had a real passion for hockey, then that was my wheelhouse. And then, you know, you try to find out what that passion is, what that desire is, and then line up their actions where they, they align because in a lot of cases people have big dreams and stuff, but their actions don't pair up to even come close to achieving it or even having that opportunity. So, um, I just try to pass on everything that I've, I've learned, you know, as not only a a player, uh, a a coach, uh, a skills instructor, but, you know, a, a parent of two really passionate players and, you know, uh, an instructor who gets, in front of players that have really lofty goals and they, they just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Sure. Um, so it's, it, it, it's a lot of fun. So I guess the, the main thing is just, uh, you know, the, the adolescent time can be really challenging for a lot of people just because the family dynamics are different friends, you know, are, are you popular? You're not popular. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just try to be a, uh, uh, a rock that they can count on for consistent messaging mm-hmm. that's not full crap and is authentic and you know what my experience was you know we were talking one time lance and and you told me a story about some advice or you know a, something a coach said to you that it was probably painful for you to hear at that time so i i had the question as what's the best advice anyone ever gave you but share that story with us and what that moment did for you yeah, so it was, uh, believe it or not, when, so this little background information, yeah. not many people, I, I, I doubt anyone that would listen to this would know who I was as a hockey player, but I'll just give you it in a nutshell. I was a defensive defenseman, and I was really good at taking advantage of players who weren't aware of where I was when I was on the ice, who had their head down too long or bobbled the puck. And when any one of those three things happened, I was on him and I was blowing people up. Mm-hmm. That's what I was good at. Mm-hmm. Um, 
most people don't know that when I was trying to skate over to him, I fell and just got lucky and I ran into him at the right time and knocked him down. <laughs> but so I, you know, I knew what my, my skill set was. So I had a new NHL coach. Uh, there was a coaching change and he brought me into his office. I hadn't had many conversations with him and he goes, Lance, uh, do you know what the perfect game is for me, for you to play for me? And uh, kind of, that was kind of like, what, what did you just say? And I go, no. And he says, if you never touch the puck once would be a perfect game for me. And if you do touch the puck, get it to one of your teammates as fast as you can. Perfect game. He says, do you think you can do that for me? And I said, yes, coach. And I walked out, I go, wow, that's uh, that makes my life really easy, but it also kind of opened something up in my brain that, holy cow, this is what someone thinks of me. And mm-hmm. at that immediate time i was on a, a mission to change that mm-hmm. to, to make them feel that i was more than just that um, right and that's just kind of that started a learning phase for me mm-hmm. of investigation and researching and learning on how to get better and how to get gain a competitive edge on my competition and that has just transcended into uh helping me uh, get to the point that I am right now from a business standpoint and just kind of having that work-life balance. Right. Uh, and, we're, and we're definitely going to talk about uh, online hockey training as well and, and the amount of coaching you do with people and a skill set of, of yours that you train people on, ironic to what the what the coach told you, is stick handling. <laughs> yep. So yep. A, a very cool story. I think a lot of people have that pivotal moment in their life where somebody says something to you and it's like, huh, that's that's what you think I am and maybe that's what I've, I've focused on, but I need to better this skill because it's apparently obvious that I'm weak in said area. What what was now you have two kids, like you mentioned, they're both drafted in the NHL. How, how in the heck does that happen? And you see, you know, uh, football or anywhere where there's brothers and, you know, family playing. How, How do you and your two boys get drafted in the NHL? Is it just a natural gift? Is it everybody's passion for it? Is it hard work? Is it all the above? Like, how does that happen? So, the the one thing that I think um, my kids benefit benefited from was, and a lot of uh, former player, former NHL players, or players that have played in you know Div- Division One, um, they because if you look at if I look at the NHL right now, there mm-hmm. are so many players that I played with or against that have kids that are playing in the NHL. Sure. And my oldest right now, he's with Nashville, and he's. He was up most of the year, but he only played in 10 games. So he's trying to uh, navigate to being an everyday player in that league, which is the, the last step and the hardest step. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, because of that knowledge of uh, what, what needs to happen along the way, and it, I, I, I was very methodical in everything that I, I did with my kids. Um, and I'm not saying that, you know, I did everything. I didn't. Again, mm-hmm. it's a team of people, and you know, I I could get them to a certain point, and then I I would search for people that were the next trainers for them. Sure. Um, but in a nutshell, uh, I just started once I once 
they had the passion because if they don't have that, you know, you're just wasting your time. Right. Then I started introducing ways to get more repetitions. Um, so I created a, a space at home and in, in order to do that, I had to create a company <laughs> because there, there wasn't, there wasn't anything out there at the time to set up a, a training area at your home, like for personal use, there was sure. commercial, right. but not personal. So, uh, so I developed a company called, uh, it's now called Sniper's Edge Hockey. And we created, uh, everything you would need to set up a training space at home, flooring tiles, like sport courts, yep. uh, shooting tarps that can go over your garage or the back of the garage, uh, balls and pucks, uh, training aids, past, re- you know, we had the whole, a whole product line. Mm-hmm. I've since sold that company a couple years ago, but started there. Uh, we, I'm a big, we're a cabin family. So once we got to June, we were up cabin every weekend. So I created a space up here mm-hmm. where they, it get those extra reps of shooting and stick handling and uh, and then just introducing them to, to the people the other thing my the house that I currently live in, in in Minnesota my wife bought the house because she loved it I bought it because of the pond next to it that was uh you know outdoor hockey for my kids for you know over 15 years um, so it's, that's there's really no magic formula to sports or whatever I mean if it's a true passion, you're putting something into it daily. If you're mm-hmm. trying to grow a business, it's something you have to move the needle forward every single day. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, you'll never reach the higher levels. And so that's what I try to do is just uh, um, introduce players to the process of mm-hmm. what they need to do to, to reach those higher, to give themselves an opportunity to reach those higher levels. And, uh, and then it comes down to working with me as a small part. It's uh, all the uh, time that they're putting in by themselves at home right? with some guidance from me. And we talked about that on the, uh, I think actually Rem, one of your boys, said something similar when I was talking the one time, uh, is that basically it's a Tony Robbins quote, that people are celebrated in public for what they practice in private. <laughs> it's yeah. it's yeah. You didn't just show up on the, on the uh, you know, Nashville Predators you did something way before that that no one ever saw that put you out there. <clears throat> I would imagine yeah, they also I would imagine they also benefit from, you know, you talked a little bit about having a mentor or, you know, you used the term when I thought I was out of gas, I noticed I still had a third of tank left, but just their, their, you know, ability to be around you, to be around other NHL players, just their thought process that most people would have of that is unattainable for me they had, it's attainable. I know a lot of guys that have done it. (laughs) Just your own brain's not in your way as much as maybe someone else's is. Well, yeah. I mean, going back to Tony Robbins, it's, uh, it's not the environment that controls us. It's our, the belief of the environment, you know, what do we believe that environment is doing to us and stuff. And, and uh, yeah, that, that is so true. And what, what I do, you know, the players that I get in front of, you know, the first question that I ask them when we meet is, what do you want to accomplish in hockey? And, you know, they tell me. And then we start, you know, aligning it where, you know, if, if it's a match, I can help. And I just show them and they, they got to execute the plan. And, you know, I say getting good at something, it's a lonely place a lot of the time. Sure. But, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're training for those moments. 
when, you know, it's an overtime game and you got the puck in your stick. Right. Can you execute? Right. So, yeah. Cool. It's a blast. Very cool. What, uh, what, before we transition to, you know, kind of current day here, <clears throat> last question on your, your NHL career, what was your favorite thing about playing in the NHL? Um, I, what, so there's a player that played, um, his name's Luke Robitaille. Uh, he was an all-star and I believe mm-hmm. it was when he was with Detroit and he was interviewed uh, by someone and they asked him what was the hardest thing about winning the Stanley Cup and he said that the hardest thing was you just don't know how hard it is to win a cup until you win a cup <laughs> and, and I, I just went wow what a way to say it mm-hmm. and I've had a, you know a number of businesses that I've been involved with mm-hmm. where you know what does it take to be successful in business? You know, you don't know what it takes until you make it, Right. you know, and, and very rarely is your first, uh, idea going to be the last idea, you know, whatever we're working on now, that's not going to be what we're working on in three months because it's going to be obsolete or we're going a different direction. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, uh, you you have to be, be able to adapt quick and you have to, not hone in on one thing um, as as gospel, mm-hmm. uh, and you just you just gotta kind of and and let the process happen of learning. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many things that pop into my head uh, that I never even imagined six months ago that I'm I'm applying to to my business world or my personal life. So um, learning such you know, that's, that's the biggest thing is just uh, continuing to learn and learn from others is uh, what's benefited me the most. Good. And what now, so you, you, you know, you end, end the career there, <clears throat> not that the times were, were simple back then because you, you obviously had a, a, a demanding taxing, the travel, all those things, but you definitely knew what you were doing every day. What gets you out of bed now? Yeah, I, um, the kids that I train and um, the knowledge that I've acquired over time. There's a book that I've read uh, that I read when I first started coaching and it's called the talent code. And I can't remember the guy's name now, but in, a, in what he did is he was curious to see how these remote places around the world were producing huge amounts of high end talent, mm-hmm. not only in sport, but, in music and art and math, whatever the, the, the sector would be. Sure. And he visited, he called, uh, they called them uh, talent hotbeds and went to all these to see if they had some common characteristics. Uh, so at the end, you know, he wrote the book and there was three basic ones that came up with. And one is the, the, the person has to have a goal, have the passion they're, they're hunting something, you know, they're chasing something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next, because if you don't have that, you'll never have the sustained motivation to keep uh, pushing for it, right. you know, week after week. Uh, number two is uh, how they teach uh, the different teaching methods. And one that they describe is called chunking. So if we're talking about stick handling, there's different moves, uh, plan moves that you'll do. And some are, you know, there's a lot of different parts to it. 
So mm-hmm. you chunk it down into the individual parts. So you might start with a dribble, then you have the fake, then you have the expansion of reach, you accelerate around the player, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take each one of those and you just work on learning that little part. And then you string them all together over time. And it, and it actually in, in doing that, because I, I use that method a lot, is uh, you can accelerate their skill acquisition by sure. teaching that way. Yeah. And I think, of, you know, and when you got a young kid, I mean, to get stuck and frustrated on one thing for a long time, it, you know, that's hard to get over sometimes. But in this chunking thing, it's easy. And then when you put it all together, they make progress. So they want to continue to learn. Uh, right. And then the third part, the third part, which was the most impactful, was master coaching. And I mm-hmm. talked about, you know, mentors and finding people. Um so I read this chapter, it was like 18 years ago, and I'm like, holy cow, I want to apply this to me as a coach. There's so much great stuff in here. Mm-hmm. And I think about a year ago, I made a year or two ago, I made a YouTube video uh, just kind of talking about that book, and I reread the book. Mm-hmm. And when I reread that last chapter of Master Coaching, I read the first time I read it, I was the student, mm-hmm. and now I read it again. It's like everything they're saying now, that's me. Right. You know, I, I, I've achieved that master coaching. Never thought I'd, I'd get there. Didn't mm-hmm. know that that was even uh, a place, but uh, you know, it's, it's something that happens over time. Uh, you can't rush it. Mm-hmm. And because of everything that I've acquired over the years, that's what gets me up in the morning because I know that there's going to be a kid coming over to my house for a lesson or signing up for my online program that wants to get better and they're expecting my A game. And that's what I try to give them every day. Right. Now tell us a little bit about your business now. Okay. So, um, like I said, I had that uh, product business sniper's edge for, um, since four sold that. So that kind of gave me some time back. Sure. Uh, I do private lessons at my house where players come over, uh, for an hour lesson. And then, uh, you know, we just work on things that they're deficient at and uh, continue to build on what they've already learned and uh, just really teach them how to train in a different way. Because mm-hmm. most players, when if they say they do off-ice training, it's basically a pile of pucks away from the net and they're just ripping forehand shots <laughs> one after the other. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I, I try to get them to buy into a different way of learning. I call it mega learning. And, I mean, I... Now I have, uh, I think, just over 1,200 drills in my database, and that's my other business. So I do lessons, but then over the last decade, I've created the largest database of off-ice stick handling, passing, and shooting drills, uh, which just exceeds the 1,200 that are put into individual practice plans. And basically, it's everything that I do with players in person, but now they can access this, uh, the, the drills and stuff and progressions uh, anywhere in the world. So that's been the, the business that I've been kind of dabbling in mm-hmm. uh, for the last decade. And I say that loosely because um, I, I was still in such a learning mode and development mode and research mode that um, I hadn't kind of learned my chops yet. Sure. And it wasn't until the last couple of years that all of a sudden, you know, everything started coming together and um, I just started seeing things that I never saw before as far as corrections and um, 
accelerated growth and stuff like that um, to where now, like I said, uh, I am pretty confident in what I do. And I know if that if a kid buys into what I'm teaching and will put in the time at, at home that they will be successful. It's not a question. And you know, I, I, I still continue to try to push the envelope. So um, my wife calls what I do a sickness. <laughs> <laughs> my wife calls mine the same. <laughs> yeah. So I'm still trying to hold on to the passion. But one of the things that I think contributed to that label for me was I, I, I was just so interested to, on you know, the stick handling stuff and helping kids that uh, I get introduced to a lot of young kids that haven't had a lot of training or this is their first introduction to, you know, some technical stuff. Uh, So I thought, you know, how could I get into their head of what they're feeling at the beginning? So I decided that I'm going to teach myself how to stick handle and shoot left-handed. I'm a natural right-hander. So I, I budgeted, uh, three to four days a week for a half an hour to go down in my space. And I worked the program during that time, all the drills, just opposite hand. And I tracked everything. Right. And the beginning was really uncomfortable. It was awkward. I was clumsy. I felt like I was horrible. And I was because everyone is. Sure. Right. But as I stuck with it, you know, things got a little better. And about halfway through the third month, um, is when all one day I was down there and I was like, holy cow, coach has got some mojo opposite hand now. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I, so I know that if a kid buys into what I'm saying and executes the, you know, putting in the work that mm-hmm. when they get into the third month, which is the, the hardest phase to get through, once they get there, then things get easier sure. and they get a lot of confidence. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, when you have that passion, you just get up every day and do your deal and you just got to continue to learn and just be a sponge on what's getting thrown at you. Right. Because there's all these little nuggets, these little golden nuggets that are there. If you recognize it, that take you to another level. Right. And you, you got into the virtual game with that then long before, you know, if you, anybody wants to check out the site, it's online hockey training.com. But you got in the virtual game long before you know the rest of us had to, were forced to get into it last year. Did uh, did last year help you out to be set up virtually like that? Did you have an influx in your business from that? You know what we we didn't do many of them. Um, I, I had some, but I was one of the businesses that benefited from COVID because sure. in, in a normal year, once we hit. Labor Day and the kids are back in school, then I I can't do any midday lessons because right. everyone is in school. But because of all the online learning, I just have continued on. So I if if I was younger and I could do ten lessons a day, I could fill that every single day, right. uh, which is a nice problem to have. But coach isn't a spring chicken anymore. You know? <laughs> so I can only <laughs> can only do a few. Uh, like four or five lessons a day. That's about all my body can handle now. <laughs> the tank's not as big as it used to be, huh? <laughs> no, no. But you know, it's uh, it's it's a nice technology to have. We we did add that to our site. Uh, I I just because I'm so busy, I, I I'm offering a, uh, a like a first lesson, like someone that I've never been introduced to, because that's the most impactful lesson. Sure. Um, uh, where I can make changes, I. 
there's seven up to seven corrections that I make in hand positioning movement and where they dribble on the stick blade that um, I can identify by having them do one drill. So Good. it's kind of, you know, that's, that's where I get them set up. That's where I introduce them to my world. And then, you know, if, if they buy into it, you know, I'll get an email from them a couple months later saying, Holy cow. Thanks coach. Cool. And that's, <clears throat> that's, one of, you know, that's why you get up in the morning. Yeah. That's gotta be fun for you too, to take all those, you know, all the things and people that benefited your lives and the, the successful people that you were around that helped you get better and kind of pay that back. Yeah. Good. Um, and think about, you know, the financial world, uh, you know, how great is it if you as a financial advisor give someone some advice, mm-hmm. they execute the plan and they, they knock it out of the park and they call right. you. I mean, there's nothing better than that. No, Thank you. there isn't. Yeah. And what's cool is you, you know that. You know that if they're going to execute the plan. I know what a kid's going to look like in two months, five months, six years from now if they get on this path. Right. And it's pretty, it's pretty cool looking down from the top because cool. that's where they all end up. Cool. Well, I definitely appreciate your time today and sharing your story with us and you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because you start off with thinking, how does a guy go to be, you know, again, professional sports is the, is the, the a definitive thing in, in life. People watch sports and it's the elite of the elite. And a lot of the things that, that you talk about are the same things that really everybody else deals with it. So we appreciate you sharing your insight and knowledge. And, you know, for everybody on here, make sure you go check out onlinehockeytraining.com. Uh, if your kids play hockey, definitely take a look at it. It's Like I said, it's not just about sports. It's about surrounding yourself with people who have, have done well in life, who can share their successes with you, who can help give you and keep you in the passion to stay motivated and continue forward to achieve whatever level you're trying to achieve. So with that, Lance, hey, you go have yourself a uh, great day today, and we appreciate you joining us on the show. Thank you very much, and uh, I really appreciate the opportunity. This was a lot of fun, and uh, you guys have a great weekend as well. Thanks, Lance. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.